Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Lightly. It takes me anywhere between 10 plus hours just to prepare. And I got a job. And um, Virgil, it takes him a long time. He worked third shift. And he get up. God bless him every time. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, Virgil was supposed to speak today. He couldn't. His job. So, And I'm only telling you this. If we play a video, we play in a video because it's of a necessity. We try to have somebody here to speak every time. And that's why I thank God for grace they bring people. We got a guest. It's a person who never come before. And that's why one of the reasons that when I spoke last time about hearing well, um, it don't make no difference how the word comes. long as it's sincere and it's accurate and it's the word of God, God can speak through it. God can speak to you. And so... Uh, Today, uh, Pastor Ryan is in uh, the God, I mean, First John. We'll be listening to, to him. And uh, he's from Grace Church. And I just want you to have a, um, a sensitive ear to what he's going to be saying because he's going to be speaking to him. And I'm going to come back and uh, point out some points and applications that you can uh, apply. I've learned so much. I know when I was single, I used to have tapes, cassette at that time almost 24 hours whenever possible i learned i I mean i just i just studied and um i listened to all kinds of speakers and stuff whether they were live or not god bless me if you got a hunger for god's word god will bless you and so this morning as you listen i want you to listen for open ear open heart and god going to bless you again okay and then i'll be back If you guys have been with us for the past few weeks, we have been traveling through the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, and pull them out. 1 John is where we're going to be. We're going to be ending uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be breaking into chapter 3. I don't know about you, but I feel like that's pretty exciting stuff. I feel like we've been in chapter 2 for like nine months. It's been fantastic. It's been so, so good. Um, And if you were with us um, uh, last year and we're still in 1 John, welcome back. We're still here. We're still here. We're still checking through line by line, verse by verse. This has been so rich. And I'm going to tell you that today is is like any other Sunday as we've been going through 1 John. This is going to be the best message you have ever heard until you show up again next week. Uh, Because this is John's message. I'm just going to give it to you. Um, But there is going to be some application for us here today. So um, uh, buckle up, get ready, and uh, uh, like I said, open up your your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. Now, if you haven't been with us for the past couple weeks and you have no idea that we were in 1 John, this is a big surprise to you, and you just came in because you've been traveling or maybe just knew that a church, uh, you're still in good shape. This is a standalone message. You're going to get a lot out of today, so don't worry about that one bit. Now, usually I ask you guys to help me a little bit by reading this out. But really what I want to do is I want to read it to you. I want to read it over your soul. I want to read it so you can just take some stuff in from the Word of God initially. And then I'm going to break it down line by line as we go through. So instead of reading that with me, I I really need you to do more keen in on just listening so that you can just tuck it away right off the bat. Savvy? I love feedback, so you know when I whenever I throw something out, just uh, just give me some feedback. Only on good points, though. Only on good points. Now, little children, abide in Him. This is verse twenty-eight. So that when He appears, you and I may have the confidence not to shrink back in shame 
due to his second coming. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness actually has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So, so we are. And this is the reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. Beloved, let me tell you this. We are children right now, God's children right now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as Jesus is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he has appeared to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. That's one of the reasons why he's writing. No, I don't want you to be deceived. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. As he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. It's pretty clear. Your lifestyle will display the reality inside here. Whoever practices sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason why the Son of God appeared, come on somebody, is so that he could destroy the works of the devil. If you don't have that underlined, do that like 17 times. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep sinning because, well, the reality is he is born of God in here. Verse 10, this is where we're going to conclude. This is the evidence. That's one of the main reasons he writes to you. I want you to have some evidence, some assessment, some figuring out if you're really of God or of the devil. And here's what he says. This is the evidence that you are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. This is the differentiation between the two. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Man, there is some good stuff to be had here. Here we go. Verse 28. Let's look at it. It's going to be up here if you don't have your Bible. Verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have this confidence not to shrink back in shame because of his coming. Sin discloses shame. We don't have confidence in actually going up to anybody, especially to God, when we are tucked in fear in shame. And that's holding us back. It's like a prison. We can't go anywhere. There's no progress to be made when there's shame in our life. And God came to destroy the works of Satan and get rid of shame so that we have free access to the throne room. Come on, somebody catching this? And so then now he says this. As he will appear, we have confidence. As he will appear. He will appear. John's not talking about he already came in the flesh. He's talking about Jesus is coming the second time. Now, listen, the first time that Jesus came, we're trying to rally the troops. We're trying to tell the world there is good news. But it's like tucked under things. It's like under the radar. It's like a whisper. It's like hidden. I mean, it happened in the middle of nowhere. Came through a virgin birth. Uh, that crazy is that story. But we're trying to tell everyone. 
Make no mistake about it. The second time Jesus comes, you won't have to tell anybody. He will rip open the heavens, come down, blazing in his eyes. He'll come down to say, listen, whenever he appears, so will we. Whenever God comes through the heavens and earth, there will be no doubt that he is here. Everything around and within will be purified. God will order things yet again. He'll separate right from wrong. He will place new heaven and new earth in its rightful place. But then then again, whenever you have that particular conversation inside or outside the church, the second coming of Jesus, it's good news. No matter what you believe, there's always this question that usually is attached to that. Do, do you actually know God? Well, listen, Jesus is coming back. So the question then comes for our conversation. Do you know him? I want to change it ever so slightly because I think you can, I think you can get away with that. I think that there's a possibility of people knowing about God, but not actually being Christians. I think that there's an ability inside of our church and inside of our area to say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe. Yes, I think highly of Jesus, but he hasn't done anything in my life because you haven't made him God in your life. And I think the difficulty is just asking that question, do you know him, is different from asking this question, do you actually allow God access to your life? Are you, let me say it like this, are you making yourself known to God? Are you making yourself known to him? In, in the private places of your life, are you making that exposed to God? The secrets that nobody else knows, are you exposing that to him? The sin that you're embarrassed and shameful over, are you giving that over to God? Your soul and your heart, the places that nobody else knows, the motives, why you do what you do, are you giving that over to God? Because God's never going to force himself into your life, but he will stand at the door and just knock. I would love to come in. I would love to fix that issue. I would love to be God over that room. I would love to be, be destroying the work of Satan in this area of your life. I have the power. I am able. I am willing. I am ready. If only you would just open up and surrender your life and I could come in and do the work. That you're designed and created to have. And this is the question that, that really just kind of rubs feathers. It's just kind of like one of those where you, you can't just skim over in the Bible. Whenever Jesus gives his beatitudes and he's preaching on the mount, the best sermon ever. And then he gets to this point and he said, listen, there's going to be people that prophesy in my name, cast out demons in my name. But my heart breaks because at the end of time when I come back, I'm going to have to say to him, depart from me. I never knew you. And so then it goes to, wait, I thought God knows everything. He does. God is God over everything. He knows everything. But if you want to keep secrets from him, he can't be God over that area. Not because of his limited power. It's because of your pride letting him in. And God wants access to that. He doesn't want you to come to the second coming and say, depart from me. I ever knew you. And you didn't make yourself known to God. He wants to. He wants to be God over that area. And he doesn't want sin to be destructive in your life. And that's exactly why he came. Verse 29. If you know that he is righteous. <laughs> stop right there. Do, do you we know? Do we actually walk out that reality? Do I know inside that he is actually righteous? Do you, let me ask you this. Do you tell God more about how he should handle his world? Do you tell him your plans or do you try to get on his? 
Do you say, God, this is my will. This is what I think should be done. I don't know why you would do it that way. Here's the way I think you should do it. I mean, come on, let's just, let's just take something neutral like the weather. Anybody complain about the weather lately? I mean, come on, it's muggy, it's hot, it's North Carolina. Let's just move out of here, you know what I mean? And Anybody had the thought, I can't wait till winter comes? Listen, I don't know if you've been in a house before, but um, there's always 19 different opinions about what the thermostat should be set at. You know what I'm saying? Come on, any homes being divided by the temperature? Come on, I'm the one paying the bills. I'm, you know, have you ever pulled that car? You're like, this is not going to be 60. We cannot afford to keep it at 60. Or, or whatever the issue is, I just want you to go outside every single day and just know that God is God over Mother Nature, and He detects, He moves, He up and down, humidity and all, He moves the thermostat. He's He's got His hand on it. So when you go out there to complain, say, you know what, God, you're you're God. I don't know what you're doing, and clearly you have it set to this temperature for a reason. I'm just going to go ahead and submit to your seasons and be okay with what you're doing. And whenever we go through this particular process, verse 29, go ahead and bring that back up. That's what I'm talking about. If you know that he is righteous, if you know that God is actually ordering things rightly, then you will actually allow God to be in his rightful place right in here. If you feel like there's a lot of disorder out in your life, it's probably because you haven't ordered rightly your life in here. Before you order your public life, you need to let God reorder your private life. God, I need to do some rearranging because I need to see things the way you see things because clearly I don't. Because when I look out into the world, I don't understand your plans. So then I got to go back to Isaiah 55. Your thoughts are here. My thoughts are here. Who needs to adjust? You know what I'm saying? Come on, be honest. God, if you could just come down on my level, we would be good. You know, just God's like, probably not going to happen. You want to know why? Because this world would be in worse shape than it is right now. And what I want you to do is get right thinking so that you can be set free to right living. That's a transformation. Isn't that what it talks about in Romans 12? The renewing, the renewing of your mind is a transformation of your soul. I want, I want, to, I want to just really be God over these things in here so you can think rightly about what I'm doing, the weather and sovereignty and issues in your life and everything else so that you can actually live rightly. The reason, chapter 3, verse 1, the reason why the world does not know him is that it didn't know Jesus. The world doesn't really know Jesus. I think we can all put that down. It's a verdict to be seen, I think, pretty clearly. His hometown didn't welcome Jesus. There was groups that he was preaching to that wanted to push him off of a cliff. They wanted to gather the crowds, gather around so that they would stone him to death. And he slipped away. He actually disappeared. But anyway, that's, that's a cool story for another day. And when he goes back to his hometown, he was limited in the miracles that he was doing. And the ultimate reality that we know that the world didn't welcome Jesus is that he got crucified. Is brutally murdered, tortured, suffered. I don't think that there is a person in this world, inside or outside the church, that wouldn't realize, yes, the reason why the world does not know you is that it didn't know him. I clearly know the world didn't welcome Jesus. Because there's still people right now being persecuted in Jesus' name that are standing up to him all across the world. But I feel like this subject for you and I today, the reality is... Does the world know you? Come on, is your life really, really similar to the world? 
is the way you think very similar to the way the world thinks? Is there any difference between your life and the life that the world lives around you? Because if it's not very much different, you just got to know that there's probably not a whole lot of difference in here. If there's not a difference in the way you see things in your calendar and where you do your money and how you spend things, where you spend your time, how you love people, if there's no difference out here, John says the reality is I'm probably not God at all in here. And, and the unfortunate side effects is we're in, we're in the South. This is the Bible Belt. Of course, everybody's a Christian. You go around saying, do you love God? <laughs> Absolutely. You want to go to heaven? Definitely. But that doesn't allow any change to happen here because change is uncomfortable. And God, I need you to start moving and shifting your word inside of me so that change, modification, transformation can happen so that I can start seeing this world out here very differently. This is what he's talking about. Righteousness, right living out here actually starts with right believing, right thinking, right positioning of God in here. And too often we've just kind of went around and say, well, I'm my world and the world that I live in are very, very similar. But that's okay because I'm I'm called to serve the world and I'm called to go attach myself to the world. The thing is, Jesus has called us citizens of heaven. And whenever Jesus came down here, there was a difference in the way that he did life. There was a difference in the way he spoke with people. There was a difference in the way he was loving people. And that's what he wants us to get to. It's where he's not looking for perfection. He's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for you and I to make some progress and allowing God to do some work right up in here. So if your soul has remained the same yesterday or last week or two months ago and there hasn't been any shifting, there hasn't been any repentance, there hasn't been any change, there hasn't been any conviction, there hasn't been any disorder, there hasn't been any frustration in your life, then you're probably coming to the grips of God's probably not doing a whole lot in here because I haven't welcomed him. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about that verse. It says this again. And we will be what we have, this identity, this um, uh, this stirring, who we are, our very identity. He, He goes, present tense, beloved, you are God's children. Now, what we will be has not yet come. Anybody uh, absolutely excited that you're going to get a new body in heaven? He said, you're going to get that later on, but at the same time, you don't yet have it. Can I tell you where you live? There is a, a, a theological term called the already and the not yet. It doesn't really sound too deep, but it's, um, you have to understand it a little bit. You live in the tension between the already, somebody say already, and the not yet. Say that. The, you live in the tension between the already and then not yet. What, what God is saying is you live in the tension between God establishing his kingdom already. He already started the process, but it has not yet been completed. You see glimpses of heaven, but heaven's not here in its fullness. Come on, you catching this? You see answered prayers, but, but you're not to the day where God has answered all prayers so that he can restore all things. It has already began a good work in you, and God will finish it onto what? Completion. Come on, you catching this? But until that moment, you can see glimpses of your life being healed. You can see part of your body being physically healed. You can see answered prayers in parts of people's lives. And every 
every once in a while trickle through and change lives over here. People getting baptized and getting into lives. But why hasn't he just done that with the entire city? Because we're not yet there. Jesus will come back and he will make sure everything is put to a rightful order. But that's why you and I are on a key mission to go fill the city with Jesus is because we have something to do. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know, what we, when he appears, we shall be like him. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Let me say that one more time. We know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this idea down. You are what you look at. You become what you study. You become what you read about. You become what you stare at. You start to become the things that you are just desiring over. You, you long for things. You hope for things. That's what you become. Whatever it is that you give your desire to, unrighteous or righteous things, you start to become what you look at, who you spend time with, who you listen to. Listen, the one that you obey, you become that person's God. Are you obeying the world system or are you obeying God's system that's bringing his kingdom down and will finish what he has started? You start to obey. That's the God that you serve. That's not me. That was Romans 6. So if you're wondering, like, hey, that's a really good point. I know. That was, that was just Romans 6. We become this idea who wherever we look, whatever we gaze upon, wherever we fix our eyes, that's where we become more like. Verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Quick uh, question. Anybody planning on going vacation this summer? June, July, August? Uh, vacation, vacation. I just love to do a quick survey. Anybody heading to the mountains? Mountains, mountains. Anybody, uh, summertime, away from the heat, no sand in these toes, mountain bound, anybody? few people. Uh, okay, let's put it up there. Who's going to the beach this summer? Come on, throw them out there, throw them out, throw them out. Who wants to go to the beach? <laughs> More hands. Yeah, I don't know. So he, here's the deal. I just put that verse up there because I want to talk about verse 3 in a parallel. Whenever you plan on vacation... Well, what are some of the things that you do? Well, A, you take off work because you, you need to get away from something so that you can take vacation. You stop working so that you can go rest. He's talking about everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. If you hope to go on vacation in June, July, or August in the summertime, you need to do something about it right now. Come on, you catching this? If you hope for something later, it changes what you do today. If you hope to go on vacation in a few weeks, you better start packing today. If you hope to go on vacation in a few months, then you better start taking off work and make provisions and save up some money so that you can do something different today. Come on, you catching this? Now let me bring it back to verse 3. Everyone who hopes, hopes in Jesus tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month, I have no idea when he's returning, but my hope is set like an anchor over him. That changes what I do today. And I need to allow God to start purifying this so that I can actually look out and see, God, the news is talking a whole lot about bad stuff, but I'm overwhelmed with all the good stuff that you're doing in this world. And I actually have a hope that's set on 
we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. There's a peace that comes over me when I, when I know his kingdom is actually unfolding properly, although everyone gets anxious about this world being more and more destroyed. God, I need that to resonate in here so that when I go through storms out here, I can calm them from the authority that I walk in in here. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. I had to look that definition up, so I'll just give it to you. Lawlessness is a state of disorder because of a disregard for the law. It's a state, your life is in disorder because you disrespected or disregarded the law. That means um, if I come back to you and say, listen, I just need a lot of money, a lot of help, a lot of prayers, a lot of support because I just got into a wreck uh, yesterday. You'll probably give me some sympathy and some compassion, which I appreciate. What if I just told you I was just recklessly driving and I've been doing that for weeks and it just now caught up to me? Two things are going to happen. You're probably going to help me because you're you're loving like that. But then you're also going to sit me down and say, that was really dumb. So here's what I need you to know. Don't be surprised at the disorder of your life when you blatantly disregard God's law. Whenever we look at this thing, we can't be like, well, I don't really agree with that. Oh, there's my blessing. I'm going to go after that. God's like, yeah, that's yours. But you also have to allow me to access into your life in the places that I may not be welcome. Because I want to be God over God in every area, not just some of the ones that is at your convenience. Whenever we look at this lawlessness, John is like, it's there. It's a reality, unfortunately. Not just in the world, I'm talking about in the church. And whenever we look at this, we just need to know, God, I want, to, I want you to come in to reorder. I need you to renew my mind. I need your word to come in and transform my soul. Because my marriage is hanging on by a thread. My kids are being yelled at. There's so much anger in me. I'm about to turn at the drop of something and somebody's going to have to pay. But it's a blatant disregard of your law that I haven't appropriated any of it in here. So everybody else is in disorder. Verse 5 and 6, you know that he appeared in order to take away sin. (laughs) That's this. After I just talked about that subject, let me just move on to something hopeful. All right. As he appeared, Jesus came not only to destroy the works, but also to get rid of sin in your life i don't i don't know about you i just need to read that one more time let it sit in you know that he appeared in order to take away sins i don't know if your mind goes here but my mind does to say well if that's true why so much sin in the world why so much sin around me i mean if that if that's true why why sudden the blatant regard of evil and Hostility and hatred and division and prejudice, that's still there. Because I I think this probes to a focus point of, of not if Jesus is destroying sin, it's where he's taking care of sin. It's where Jesus is taking away your sin. It's where he is eradicating. It's where he is destroying the works of Satan. And can I tell you, on his second return... 
He will take care of all the sin around in this world. He will order things yet again. But what he's ta- what John's talking about here is the location isn't in the world. The location is the most the difficult place for God to destroy sin, which is in your soul. It's in your heart. It's right here. That's where he said the sin he came. He appeared to take away sin right here. Because when you take care of it right here and get rid of it in its rightful roots, it's the source, it's the cause, you won't have to worry about it out here. Jesus says there's an order to these things. And I want to start at the roots. I want to destroy it there so it doesn't even show up in the rest of the world. Unfortunately, I I know that the reality is pastoring a church like this, there's people who are addicted to pornography and I want, to, I want to close the gap and use this particular scripture, this truth that John's talking about, and just laying it out practically for you. Whenever you see this, you know that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. Well, what do you mean, the sin like pornography? What if someone's being addicted? I, I don't know what it is. I'm just addicted to pornography, and I can't, I can't do anything about it. Or maybe you, you just think, well, I'm not really addicted. It's not really that big a deal. But yes, it's in my life. It's present. I, I would just tell you this. What was the question? really surfaces inside the church how does one become free from pornography how how do you really actually become free do do you just make sure you have a a lot of accountability everyone having your email address and making sure that there's a link between everything you click to it gets uh, pushed over to five or six people who will beat you up later about what you looked at or or should you just have somebody go inside of your home and take every single computer every single tv and just rip them out and throw them away all the dvds in the trash boom you're taken care of no because at that point all you're dealing with is the symptoms Because it's still going to be out in the world. It's still going to be produced. It's still going to be out there. Because you haven't first and foremost dealt with the issue at hand. And what John's asking us to do in chapter 2 and in here, he's saying all I want you to do is be really honest before God that it's an issue. Confess it. Confess where it came from, where it started. Get detailed on how much it is, how much it's destroyed you and your marriage and your kids, how it's distorted the way you look at other other women or other people. Get down to the root and actually be honest and open up to the one who can actually change you to say, God, I want to make sure that you can eradicate the sin because you came to appear before me so that you can give me a revelation how destructive the sin really is. And God, I need you to take care of it in here so I don't even have the desire around here. When I look at a computer at night, I'm not, I'm not hopeless anymore because there's power. Come on, somebody. There's power to get rid of sin in here. And that's the work of Jesus. Whenever he stepped foot on the cross, you don't have to worry about sin anymore. It's so far away from you. The east is from the rest because I'm going to say over your life that your sin, it is finished. And if we can get down to the roots, if we can get down to the core and just let him in, there's nothing that John or Jesus says about you need to work harder. You need to be more disciplined. You want to get rid of, you want to get rid of pornography. You need to read the Bible more. You need to show up church more. You need to serve more because that's religion's answer. You can't do enough to get rid of it deep down in here. It's a root issue. It's a root, it's a root issue. It's, it's deep down inside. And doesn't the word of God say 
It's so powerful and so active. It separates the spirit and soul to get down to the motive, to get down to the real issue, which is how you think about your sin. Church, can I tell you that the sin in your life isn't the issue? Maybe you have sin. You're thinking, well, you know what, Pastor? I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm just not there yet. I wish I was like you, or I wish I was like this person. I wish I was like my neighbor. That's not the point. The point is not perfection. The point is not that you have you have sin, and we just we hide behind that fact. Yes, uh, I guess I'm not perfect yet. I, yes, there still is sin. The problem is not that sin is present in your world. The problem is your attitude towards the sin. Is you're just okay with it. I mean, I only watch pornography every once in a while. I only steal a little bit. Nobody really even notices. I mean, when I lie, it's not really that big a deal because I do it just to keep peace. All those are destructive. And they don't happen in heaven, nor should they happen here. Because if we're citizens from heaven, God, we just got to say, I want every area of my life to be examined, to be taken account of. And I want you to come in so that you can be Lord over my life right here. Because I want you to appear in that room as well and destroy the works of Satan so that everything else around me will not be in such upheaval. It won't be an issue. My marriage won't be destructed. My, my kids won't be looking at it in fear that I might get angry with them again. Whatever the case may be, there are sins in our life that yes we can account for everyone has sin the issue is not the sin that's present but it's our attitudes towards it we need to be so hatred of sin because it's killing our life it's not doing us a bit of good c.s lewis says the problem is not that we are pleased the issue is that we were too easily pleased with the world we have an appetite for candy when we should be nourishing on the goodness of God's table right before us, which is the meat and the nourishment that gets down in our soul. God, let us have an appetite to eat so that you can tear out those things. Little children, he says in verse 7 and 8, I don't want you to be deceived. Whoever practices righteousness, whoever has a, a lifestyle that just kind of overflows from, from this, is righteous. Verse 8, but whoever practices sin, practices sin, doesn't just have sin present. He says when you practice sin, this is actually from the devil. And the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of Satan. That's just good news. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 9, I want to hang out with that. If you can just kind of focus in on this verse 9, where it says God's seed. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for what God's seed abides in him. Let me talk to you about a theme that goes through the New Testament, which is referring to God's seed being God's word. Jesus gives a parable, parable of the sower. He's talking about the condition of our hearts, the condition of our soul. He wants to bring forth the seed, the word of God being spoken to, listened to, apprehended, grabbed, so that we can then tuck it down in our soul. He refers to God's word and God's seed so that we can actually cultivate it. I don't know if you know this or not, but God speaks in seed form. And so sometimes whenever you come to church, you're thinking, oh, I wish I was 
I wish I was going to get something different. I was looking for something over here, and maybe God spoke to you over here. Have you ever, have you ever opened up the Word, went looking for something? God, I just need your direction. If you just blatantly tell me what, you're, what you want me to do, I'll, I'll do it. Anybody there? Anybody have some choices and some decisions to be made maybe in the future? And thinking, I'm just going to rip through this Bible as much as I can to find out, God, what do you want me to do? And you come out of it with things that you thought were going to be different. I kind of wanted you to speak to me about that subject, but you ended up speaking to me about this. That's because God speaks in seed form. You can't be excited about the oak of righteousness that you will become and so you get really excited about the acorn that he gives you. Because inside of that acorn, inside of that seed, is the, is the potential for him to plant that inside of you and for millions of fruit to come out of your life from just being obedient and a good steward over one word. One word. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> How many of you would say that God's actually spoken to you? You've heard his voice. Realistically, show of hands, yes, God's spoken to me. It's a pretty good amount. Now, let me, let me describe something. Let me explain something. Have you ever been in a message, maybe today, and you think, this is for me? I don't know how, but every single Sunday I come, you read my mail. You ever, you ever feel like that? Have you ever opened up the Bible and just thought, man, you're going through story after story. Maybe there's old stories. You're like thinking, oh, I wish I could get to something better. And you read old stories, but something new comes out of it. Come on, anybody ever been there? You're thinking, oh, this is, oh, this, is this story again. But then you read it and you're like, wait a minute. That had to have been placed there just last week. Did they add that? I've never read that before. Anybody? Hey, have you, have you ever been reading through there and you just kind of just thinking, gosh, that was good. Have you ever, have you ever gone into a, a small group? Have you ever gone into church or have you ever gone into the word really frustrated and, and really tense in here? But you walk away. You just got to wait lifted off your shoulders. Have you ever experienced that? All those and, and thousands more. All those are God speaking to you. Now, let me ask you the question. Has God ever spoken to you? Show a hand. Church, God's not interested in making sure that you know every single facet of his word. He wants you to allow the one word that he speaks to you to abide in healthy soil. He just wants you to know that you are his child. You're his son. You are his daughter. And he wants the word of God to go forth and bear fruit, fruit that lasts so that the nations can eat off of your fruit, can be sheltered in your shade because you are an oak of righteousness, because you were someone different. You took the seed and in your joy, you tucked it away and you cultivated it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. This is uh, Randy Thornton's church. Pastor Ryan is one of the senior pastors. 
And one of these days he may be here to speak. Matter of fact, that camera up there is because of that church, because of them. They love us. They care for us. And they support us. There was so much in this message. When he asked, have you heard God spoke through the scripture? Uh, I couldn't help from remembering um, when I first got saved. I didn't didn't understand the scripture. Scripture was, was just foreign to me. And I remember God took cursing out of me. And when he did, I just couldn't say a curse word. And I remember friends cursing in the car. So I was coming home from uh, uh, where I was stationed at in the military. And they jumped on my case because I told them you shouldn't be cursing. And I was just cursing just probably months before then. And, but God had changed me. And uh, for whatever reason, it disturbed me. I went home. First time there, I went to the kitchen table, and I opened the word. I said, God, what did I say? You're just taking cursing out of me. And uh, God spoke to me out of the words. The first time I ever heard God spoke to me, he said in Proverbs 4, verse 20, I think 20 and 22, he said, my son, attend to my words. Incline that ear to my saying. Let me not depart from that heart. For out of, the, out of it are the issues of life. And that has been one of my life verses all my life so far. And God give you other verses. So it's not everything that you may know or understand, but it's the word that he dropped in your heart. It's that seed. That's why you should go to the word of God every day or at least five times a day. Go to the word so that God can drop that seed because it's that word that's going to change your life. Going to cause you to be prosper. It's going to deliver you from troubles and hard times. It's going to disciple you. And so it's important. I had about six things, key points. But I believe God has has spoken to some of y'all in whatever area in your life. Um, Certainly, we got this hope of Jesus coming back. If we do, we want to walk in such a way we keep ourselves pure. And that's so important before God. Certainly, you got to get in the word. So God has spoken to y'all some way, somehow. Just take that word and make it become living. If you don't know what to do with it, pray. Pray, because it's that word that's going to burn life. It's that word that brings life, and you can believe God for something, and it'll come to pass. It's not just because you pull a, a verse off the promise box and name it and claim it 50 million times you think it'll come to pass. That's not how it works. Jesus didn't do that. But it's the word that the Holy Ghost inspire, touches, move upon, causes stir in your heart. So this morning, as I pray for you, I believe that God has spoken to some of you in some area in your life. He's spoken to me. I took notes on this. And yet, when I sat right there in my mind, I said, I ought to get my paper because I need to redraw some more notes. And so, in my heart, I know what God has dealt with me about and what he's dealing with me about. So, today as I pray, I pray that whatever God has touched your life about, that you would take that seed, pray about it, or do whatever God tell you to do, okay? Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, I just thank you this morning for your word. Your word is so precious. It's so rich, full of grace, full of truth. Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that brings to life those things that you want us to see, to hear, to do, to apply. And so, Father, I ask now that the words that have been spoken today, They have been ordained of you. And Father, I pray 
that you would touch all of our lives, Lord, in such a way that as we walk out of here, we say we're going to apply something. We're going to do something about that word so that we become living epistles read of of men. And so, Father, thank you through the power of the Holy Spirit, whose presence name, we thank you, Father, for the instrument that you have brought that word through. We thank you for Pastor Ryan, uh, Randy Thornton's church. We thank you for them, Father. But I thank you more than that, that the Holy Spirit is here to touch all of our lives. So, Father, we just give this time over to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody say Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.